Well, all of us try to prevent harm from happening uh, to us. That's why we have 401ks, wear our seatbelts, try to eat better, uh, quit smoking, and do all the other things we do to uh, try to protect ourselves. But none of this is perfect. We still get in accidents, we get sick, maybe cancer, uh, we get laid off, divorced, and all of us are going to die. Um, but there, so we need to ask ourselves, is there any hope for real and lasting security? Well, Psalm 121 tells us that there is and that we can access this security. Having it can change our lives for the better. So let me read Psalm 121. I'll be reading in the English Standard Version, which is the same version which is in your seat backs in front of you. Uh, Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This psalm is telling us that our only real lasting security is in Jesus Christ. Now, you may think that's strange since the psalm was written hundreds of years before Jesus came into the world and it does not name him. But stick around and we'll find out. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 121 section by section and then see its implications for our lives. But first, a little background. Psalms 120 through 134 are known as Psalms of Ascent because they were sung by worshipers as they ascended the road to Jerusalem uh, to attend the three mandatory festivals uh, each year or they were sung by the Levite singers as they ascended the 15 steps uh, to minister at the temple in Jerusalem. They are all relatively short and tend to be hopeful, and Psalm 121 is not ascribed to any particular author. Uh, so we don't know it. it. For example, it does not say that it is a Psalm of David. Uh, the Psalm is organized into uh, four two-verse couplets. Each one is based on a particular word or concept that is repeated in each of the verses. So for example, the first couplet, verses one and two, emphasizes and repeats the word help. Where will my help come from? Um, uh, the next couplet, verses three and four, uh, emphasizes the word keeps and slumbers. Verses five and six, talks about shade, the sun, and the moon. And verses 7 and 8 uh, emphasize the concept of complete protection. Now, the first half of the psalm, verses 1 through 4, 
focuses on God's ability to help, protect, and keep us. Uh, verse 2, for example, talks about his power to keep us because he is the creator of heaven and earth. And verses 3 and 4 tell us he is alert to keep us. Uh, he's alert to our situation because he never slumbers or sleeps. Now, the last half of the psalm, verses 5 through 8, focus on the comprehensiveness of God's keeping us at any time, from any cause, in any location, forever. Now, this is even indicated by the movement of the psalm, which begins in verse 2 with creation and ends at eternity in verse 8. So let's look at this psalm section by section. First, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now these verses are asking the question that we all ask. Namely, from where does my help come? Where can I find lasting security? And the answer is, our only lasting security is in the Lord. Now, although he is not named in this psalm, these verses point us uh, to who the Lord really is, namely Jesus Christ. He has the power to give us the help we need. Now, how do we know that? Well, verse 1 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Psalm 2 helps to identify what is going on here. Now, Psalm 2 largely relates to Jesus Christ. Now, Psalm 2, verse 6, picks up on the theme of the hills, uh, because there God says, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Jesus is that king. In Psalm, Psalm uh, 2, verse 7, he is the son, uh, S-O-N, uh, and in Psalm 2, verse 8, it says that he, uh, the Son, has been given the very ends of the earth as his possession. Therefore, it's telling us that Jesus is the one who is over everything. Now, verse 2 of our Psalm, 121, uh, speaks of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And again, if we look at the rest of the Bible, multiple biblical passages specifically identify Jesus as the Lord. Just one example, remember the Apostle Thomas, uh, to whom Jesus said after the resurrection, put your finger in my hands and your uh, hand in my side. And Thomas could only reply, my Lord and my God. Um, now, and with respect to creation of heaven and earth, Colossians 1, uh, verses 15 through 17, says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. So yes, from where does my help come? It comes from the Lord Jesus, 
who created all things and who has all power and all authority, both in heaven and on earth. Now, verses 3 and 4, they say, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. These verses are telling us that he not only has all power, but he knows our needs. He knows our situation. What about our foot not being moved or slipping? Well, bad things do happen to us. But as John Newton, who, as you may know, uh, among other things, wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, Newton once said, everything is needful that he sins. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. In other words, what is happening to us is happening for a reason. And that is important, and we will return to it when we look at the implications of this psalm for our lives. Now, verses 5 and 6, they say, uh, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. These verses are telling us that he not only has all power, uh, but they show, uh, along with verses 7 and 8, the comprehensiveness of our security in Christ. Now, nothing in nature can separate us uh, or keep us uh, from being safe in the arms of the Lord. And so uh, it, it talks about, uh, in, in verses uh, 5 and 6, uh, he's our shade, the sun will not strike you by day, the moon by night, nothing in nature, no situation. Now, the book of Revelation picks up on this thought. Revelation 7, verses 16 and 17, uh, say that God's people, quote, will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, and the Lamb, of course, refers to Christ, is in the center of the throne. He will be their shepherd. And Revelation 21, verse 23, adds, and the city, and it's referring here to the new Jerusalem, has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Revelation is pointing us to the fact that the protection that we find in Christ is not just temporary, but it is eternal. It is pointing us to the new heaven and the new earth. In other words, the new Jerusalem, which will last forever. This again has implications for us, which we will discuss in a few minutes. And finally, verses 7 and 8. They read, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. These verses tell us that the Lord will keep us from all evil, regardless of cause, since after all, it's all evil. They also talk about the Lord keeping our life uh, wherever we are located. So it talks about you're going out and you're coming in. 
and it talks about he will keep us temporally for all of eternity, from this time forth and forevermore. Now, when verse 7 says that he will keep your life, the word translated life in the English Standard Version actually is far deeper than just our physical lives. Uh, the Hebrew word is nephesh, uh, which can refer to yourself or your soul, and that's how the New American Standard Bible uh, translates it. He will keep your soul. In other words, he will keep the real you. And that's important. The Lord knows the real you more than we even know ourselves. An example of this is seen in the book of Judges, uh, where the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. Now, the Old Testament indicates that the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Now, in Judges chapter 6, Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to hide from the Midianites. But the angel of the Lord appeared to him and called him, O valiant warrior, even though Gideon responded, My family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. In other words, I'm just a little, young, nothing. But the angel of the Lord knew who he really was and what he really could become. And the same is true of us. Jesus knows us inside and out. He knows who we are, he knows what we are, and he knows what we can become. And that's why Revelation 2, verse 17, says that to those who remain faithful to him, Jesus says, I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. In other words, the name in Scripture usually has significance, uh, and it relates to the character or nature of the person. And what Jesus is saying is, if you remain faithful to him, he will give you a, a white stone with a new name on it. In other words, signifying the real you, um, which you may not, you may be just as surprised as Gideon uh, was. Um, you see, Jesus can do this because he made us, he knows us, he loves us, and he will keep us. And he, as the psalm says, he will keep us from this time forth and forevermore. And Jesus can do that because Hebrews 13 reminds us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he will never uh, leave us or forsake us. So, what are the implications of this for our lives? Well, first, to access our security in Christ, we need to come to him in faith. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, to believe in him, we need to know him. In fact, Jesus himself equates eternal life with knowing him. In John 17, verse 3, 
He said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And we can know him. Jesus was a man, but he was more than just a man. He was God who came to earth as a man. Now, in essence, the gospel is this. Because God is God, he is perfect and holy, and that is the standard he holds us to. As Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But we are not perfect, and we never will be, no matter how hard we try. That is why Jesus came to earth. He came to earth to do what we could never do for ourselves. He came to earth to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we should have died, and to pay the price for our sin that otherwise we would have to pay but never could. And he did that ultimately on the cross. But when he rose from the grave and later ascended back to heaven, that verifies that Jesus is exactly who he said he is, and it showed that the Father accepted his sacrifice. Now, if you believe that, you can receive him as your Lord and Savior right now if you have not previously done so. If God has been tugging on you, then take that step. You can say to him right in the privacy of your own heart and mind, Lord, I know I have been going my own way for all my life. It's not working. Please forgive me. From right now, I'm going to live for you. Please come into my life as my Lord. I give you control over all aspects of my life, my money, my time, my actions, and my relationships. I have faith in you that by the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross, you've changed my heart and will change my life. For it is by Jesus that I pray and believe, and I thank you for giving me new life. Now, if you do that, tell someone. Tell me. Because Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, once we do that, then what? Well, once we have received him as our Lord and Savior, we need to draw on the means of grace he has given us so that he truly becomes the center of our life. Don't just admire Jesus. He neither wants nor needs admirers. Instead, follow him. That is the difference between life and death. He came that we would have life and have it abundantly. Well, how can we begin to experience that? As I say, we can utilize the means of grace that God has given us. What are they? Well, let me just mention three. First, he gave us his word, the Bible. 
read it regularly. The Bible is the primary means that God uses to instill his values in us and to change us so that we would become more like Christ himself. Second, prayer. Prayer is communicating with God. It's both speaking to him and listening to him. The lifeblood of any relationship is communication. So develop your relationship with him through his word and through prayer. Third, the church. The church is Christ's body here on earth. Get connected either with this fellowship of believers or some other church where Christ is proclaimed and his word is taught. Begin getting discipled in the faith. This will have practical effects in our lives, in how we spend our time, our activities, our values, our priorities, how we treat people, and what we do with our money. And over time, you will be able to see that he is working in you. You're going to see how he is changing you and how he is making you more like himself. Now, so far, we've been talking about how Psalm 121 is telling us that the, the Lord will keep us in all circumstances, in all times, in all places, forever. And the Bible shows us that the Lord is none other than Jesus Christ. So, access, so uh, to access his protection and keeping, we need to come to him in faith and then draw upon his means of grace. All that is wonderful. But there's an 800-pound gorilla in the room, isn't there? What is it? It is the fact that although the words of Psalm 121 sound so nice on their face, the fact is that we all face adversity and hardship. Illness, pain, financial problems, relationship problems, losses of many kinds, and ultimately, death. Doesn't all that just contradict everything that was said in the psalm? And what does Jesus have to say about that? Well, the answer is, our problems do not contradict the psalm. Instead, Jesus takes our problems and transforms them by transforming us. Now, we cannot take this psalm or any verse of Scripture out of context. For example, Jesus uh, himself said that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He promised us that in this life we will have tribulation. Those are givens, and that is precisely why uh, having an intimate relationship with Jesus is absolutely necessary. Without him, there is no hope. If Christ is really the focus of our life, he will affect everything. Now, Hebrews 12, verse 1 tells us 
It says, quote, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, end quote. Now, you can't just lay aside your cancer or your divorce or financial problems as if they were only figments of your imagination. However, when Christ is our focus, he will transform our attitudes and our responses to the problems we face. Now, it is true, sometimes he does miraculously heal or save us from the consequences of our actions. When I was many years younger, I, went, I was driving a car and went too fast around a sharp corner in the countryside, and my car rolled over three times. The top was smashed in, and yet God spared me and the person who was in the car with me. We both walked away with barely a scratch. Now that's grace. I did not deserve it. But that does not always or even usually happen. For those who know him, uh, Jesus said that when we receive him as our Lord, he will come and live inside of us, and he will never leave us, and he will work in our circumstances, in our problems, and in our lives. When Christ is our focus, we will see that these problems are among the very vehicles that God is using to transform our thinking and our character. In other words, to make us just like Jesus. And that is what God is primarily interested in. These can be very hard lessons, all right? But God is wanting to do a work in us that is far deeper than most of us want done. But he's the Lord. Now, if we understand that, we will start seeing our problems and our circumstances as God-ordained opportunities. Opportunities to see Christ at work in us, opportunities to grow in Christ-likeness, and to exhibit a Christ-like response to how we deal with the problems and issues we face. Now, I can see this clearly at work in a person I know. Heidi is the daughter of my cousin. Heidi is a Christian in her early 30s. She's married and has four children. But she also has a very rare form of cancer. When she was diagnosed, her doctor said that he had never seen anyone in her condition uh, last even eight months. She's had a bone marrow transplant, a kidney transplant, and has lasted for over three and a half years. And it seemed like she was going to make it. But recently, her mom, my cousin, uh, posted this on Facebook. Uh, she said, Heidi's blood work today showed a hemoglobin of 4.5, the lowest ever. According to the medical staff at her appointment today, it is now low enough to begin to cause heart problems or other 
organ malfunctions. In addition to increased fatigue as less oxygen keeps her body going, she could go just about any time. Yet to look at her, except for her skin tone, she doesn't act like someone on the threshold of death. She talked about it very matter-of-factly with the kids at dinner tonight. No fear, no tears, just normal life around here. Thank you all for your continued prayers that the timing and the way it happens will be blessed and just right. Well, what makes her response, her peace, even joy possible is her deep relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there is a sequel to this. A little over a week ago, Heidi died. She died peacefully and with no fear because she knew where she was going because she knew Jesus. That grace is available to all of us regardless of how hard our circumstances are. Now, Heidi did not have to face death bearing the regrets of her sins and the wrongs she had done. Remember, verse 7 of our psalm says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He can keep us from all evil because he himself bore all evil onto himself. He paid the price for that evil on the cross. The evil we have done, the evil that others have done to us, and the evil of our circumstances. Now, if you have received Jesus as your Lord, whatever wrong you have done has been paid for so that when you stand before him in the judgment, you won't have to pay for it yourself. And the evil of others and the evil circumstances that affect us, like what affected Heidi, he can transform that into good. That's how he keeps us from all evil. It's still evil in one sense, but in another sense, he has transformed it for good, and that good will be manifested for all of eternity in a transformed you. That is why the psalm is pointing us to the eternity of the new Jerusalem, where we will clearly see how God has transformed evil into ultimate good. Now, we may not understand what is happening to us or to those we love or why it's happening, and we may not like it. But we know that we can trust Jesus all the way to the end. We can do that because he is trustworthy. In the Bible, the essence of hell is separation from God. And when Jesus cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That indicates he was experiencing the reality of hell itself. Now, but there's more to it than that. By definition, hell lasts forever. Jesus did not bear just one eternity in hell, 
but millions of eternities in hell. He bore the eternity in hell that you deserve, and that you deserve, and you deserve, and that I deserve. They were all compressed onto him in the time that he was on the cross. Now that is beyond my ability to comprehend, but that is what it took to redeem you and me from the penalty of our sin. And yet, Jesus did that willingly because he loves us. That tells me I can trust him. I can trust him all the way to the end. He knows what's going on. If you are suffering, he knows suffering because he is the God who suffered. He has a plan, and that plan includes us. And everything that is happening to us, he is using to bring his plan to fulfillment. The fact that I do not like or understand what is happening to a large degree is irrelevant because my life is now in his hands, not my own, and I can trust him all the way to the end. Remember our psalm. The psalm ultimately is pointing uh, to our eternal security in Christ. It's pointing to the new Jerusalem where there will be no longer any tears, suffering, sin, death, or evil of any sort forever. That is one reason why verses 7 and 8 of the psalm are so important. They say, he will keep your life, your soul, the real you, from this time forth and forevermore. Now that's important because we may get dementia or Alzheimer's and we may not even remember who our loved ones are or even who we ourselves are. But he still knows us and he will keep the real us in the palm of his hand. No one and nothing else in this world gives us that security and that assurance. That is the God I want to give my life to. So let me conclude by saying this. We should all add to our 401ks, wear our seat belts, eat better, quit smoking, and do all the other things we do to protect ourselves. But we know that all of those things cannot provide the real lasting security we all want and need. The psalm is telling us that our only real lasting security is in Christ. To access the security only he can give, we must first come to him by believing in him, trusting him, and giving our lives to him. When we do that, we then need to draw upon his means of grace so that when the crises come, and they will, we can face them not alone, but with him. Then, despite how terrible things may be, we, like Heidi, will be able to experience the peace he gives us to get safely through the storm and then enter heaven and the new earth of everlasting beauty, peace, joy, and fulfillment beyond our ability to imagine.
Let me pray with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this assurance and for giving us that assurance which we can access in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for living the life that we should have lived, dying the death and paying the price for our sin that otherwise we would have to pay but never could. I pray, Lord God, that all of us will have you as our Lord and truly be number one in our lives. I pray, Lord God, that from the time we go out here, you will be more real to us than you have been in the past. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.